You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you will stand with me now, let's turn to Matthew 7. I want to read verses 21, 22, and 23, but the more I studied this passage, I'm really preaching all of Matthew 7, which is the end of the great Sermon on the Mount. These words are the invitation, I believe, of that great sermon, and I want you to hear this because this is uh, where the rubber hits the road. This is where the plane touches down. Listen to this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love. And Lord, your word is so powerful and true. It encourages us in so many ways But Lord, true love also tells hard truths. And Lord, I love these people in this room, but I know you love them more than I can fathom. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will take these three verses and help us to see where we stand before you because the great day of the Lord, the great day of judgment will come to us all. And Lord, the only hope we have is you, your gospel, the cross, and the power of the resurrection. Help us, Lord, to tune out everything else but you and your Spirit's voice speaking to us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's that time of year again where Halloween is upon us. I have some people, uh, we are blessed in our church to have some people who are from other countries uh, who don't do Halloween like we do, and it's been kind of fun and also a little scary for me to hear them say, what is wrong with you Americans? Like, like Halloween, there's something wrong with us. Our, our neighborhoods get transformed into some pretty weird things this time of year. Now, let me just say this, that Halloween is supposed to be about scary times and scary things. But I'm here to tell you, as a person who's been around a few scary things in my life, I've been to a few deacons meetings, et cetera, et cetera, but (laughs) I've seen some scary things in my life, but I'm here to tell you the four scariest words in all of Scripture I read to you just a moment ago is where Jesus says, I never knew you. I don't care what kind of ghosts and goblins you see tomorrow on Halloween or any other time of the year, those things are a joke compared to an eternity separated from God. And I think that sometimes that we in the church, we we are so enamored with our vision statements and with our methods and our ministries and all the things we do uh, that we're supposed to do that are very church-oriented. Those things are great, but sometimes it seems like we forget that this is all about life and death. This This is about an eternity either with God or apart from God. Friends, it is frightening to think that many people, maybe even in this room, have put their hope and their trust in something other than Jesus, in someone other than Jesus. 
What's scary about these verses are that these verses, these verses are spoken to people who see themselves as in the know. In modern language, we would say these are people who would consider themselves as members in good standing and a person who is, of course, going to heaven when they die. What's so shocking about this passage is that it says that they were never in that position. Never. Not once upon a time they were there, they, they just allowed the ways of the world, world to pull them away. No, it says never. They were never there with Jesus and putting their faith in Jesus. Here in chapter 7, we see in the verses directly in front of this, a warning about false prophets. But these are individuals who I think really know from the beginning who they are. They, they know they're bad actors. What makes our passage for today so difficult for us to read and to contemplate is that it's talking to people who are like us. Now, not necessarily exactly like us. I, I would trust that many, if not most of you in this room, you do have faith. So don't, don't take this as I'm challenging every one of you. Listen, I'm challenging my own heart this morning. But the scary thing is, is that God gives us this word because many people are putting their faith in in other things, in their abilities to speak, their abilities, maybe even spiritual things. They, they, they do mighty works according to this, but they've deceived themselves. The simple truth is this. You can fool others. You can even fool yourself, but you cannot fool God. God knows everything about you. And when there is a big gap between what a person says and does, which is a big part of what I want to talk to you about today, when there is a gap between what we profess and how we live our lives on the average day, friends, that should be a warning light on the dashboard that something's wrong in your heart. Friends, are we seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Matthew 6.33, one of my favorite passages Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you are doing that, then you are a child of God. But if anything is taking the place of primacy, first place in your life, then that again is a sign that something is the matter. In Luke chapter 6, these words are slightly different. In Luke, Luke's gospel, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do the things I say. Again, the emphasis here is in doing more than what we say, but doing the things that Jesus said. What have you built your life on? What are you putting your faith in? And that is the question. Those are the questions for today. This series is entitled Lost and Found. But if we are going to seriously consider what it means to be found by Christ, we have to take a pretty difficult, pretty deep look at what it means to be lost. I want you all to be found in Christ and to know the joy of salvation. But sometimes to re respect that and to appreciate that, we have to look at it on the other side. From the perspective of Jesus who says, I never knew you. To those who were Christians in name only who are not seeking God with their whole heart, but maybe with just a fraction of their heart. People who seem to be Christian when it is convenient only. Is your faith skin deep or dug down deep? Is the question today. Is Christianity there on the outside only? 
Because God is concerned about your heart. Now, I want to pause for just a moment. I told you that we're looking at this entire chapter. And I want you, if you have your copy of Scripture, some of you brave souls who still carry Bibles, you will, you will love this. You can actually turn in your Bibles to chapter 7. Look at verses 1 through 6. Now, this is a famous passage. In fact, our, our non-church friends love to quote this passage to us about not being judgmental. But I want you to realize this morning that what God is telling us, notice how this chapter starts. This chapter that gives us the four scariest words in all of Scripture begins with a warning about judging other people. Now, here's what I want you to see. When I read a passage like this, when we look at a hard passage of Scripture, here's what our minds begin to do, and I think it's the enemy that puts these thoughts in our heads. The enemy will immediately start you to thinking about other people who don't seem to be that close to God right now. Oh, yeah, I remember so-and-so who used to come to church and didn't come to church no more. I remember so-and-so that does is acting this way and, and living this lifestyle right now. Well, let me just tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said that you might want to worry about the log in your own eye instead of the speck in your brother's eye. In other words, the best we can be is introspective. When we're dealing with a hard passage, don't let the enemy give you a perspective of others and the other, but let's ask God to give us a perspective of our own hearts. Where do we stand before God? Because if we don't have that, we're missing this text. This text, verses 21, 22, and 23, are predicated on us judging our own hearts, letting the Spirit of God convict us. For a moment, it doesn't matter what your neighbor is doing. For a moment, it doesn't matter what the person next to you is doing. What matters is where your heart is with God. So let's dig deep. And first, to dig deep, we have to listen with all of our ears, with our ears, all of usually two. Um, let's listen with our ears what Jesus has to say, okay? And I'm going to say this. Don't just listen with your ears. Listen with your heart this morning. Now, I want you to realize here, if you look back at verse 15 with me, at verse 15, we see Jesus saying, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly, inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, the false prophets of Matthew 7, 15 through 20, I'm going to say they are artificial all right? They're false prophets, false meaning fake, artificial. But our passage for today, verses 21, 22, and 23, I want you to see that these lost souls are not artificial, but they are superficial. Now, those two words may have some similarities, but I want to take these two words for just a moment, and I want to help you understand the difference. What Jesus is trying to show us here, it is nuanced, but it is powerful. So I want you to get this. Artificial. What does it mean to be artificial? If you go to a furniture store and you walk through the aisles, inevitably they will have some furniture set up and they'll have like a little living room or a little kitchen and, you know, they try to set it up real pretty and nice so that you say you want it, right? Well, they'll put the little decorations on it and my wife is really good at putting out decorations. She loves to do that. Um, every time I turn around, like the game now is I come home, I sit in my chair and Jenny wants to see how long it takes for me to see the new lamp or the new picture on the wall. It's a fun game. It just costs me a lot of money. But anyway, <laughs> it's another story for another day. 
But one of the things we do, um, uh, Jenny likes to buy fresh flowers every once in a while, that's fine. But many times we'll buy fake things, like fake flowers. Or if you go through the furniture store, you'll see these little displays and there'll be fake fruit. Like an apple or a pear or whatever. Now, I'm guessing that all of you are wise enough to know that it's fake. You can see it, and especially when you pick it up. There's no doubt. It doesn't take much. I mean, you know that's an apple, but you also know I'm not going to eat it. Okay, I think the false prophets are pretty much straight-on artificial. You can tell that what they're saying has nothing to do with God or grace or the glory of Jesus. You can tell. They're artificial. But now let's talk about this word superficial. Because a rotten apple can look really good. And you pick it up and you say, oh, it's an apple. And then you bite into it and the worm is there. You ever had that happen? That's a bad day at the office, baby. So the apple was superficial. It wasn't artificial. It's an apple. It was a real apple. It was a good apple at one time, but it is no longer a good apple. It's a bad apple. It is superficial. When we look at verses 21, 22, and 23, this isn't artificial. This is superficial. These are individuals that on the surface have it all together, but down deep, they are not authentic. One of the fun things I have in, in serving in a church like this, we have a large staff, so we have multiple generations and diff, different demographics. And one of the things the younger demographic like to tell me is that they really like it when people are genuine. They don't like it when people are artificial or superficial. And I just kind of smile because I'm like, oh, yeah, my generation, we love plastic apples and rotten apples. Sure, yeah. <laughs> You're the first generation that's ever wanted authenticity with your relationships. Okay, great discovery there, kiddo. Gosh, that was a little bitter, Shayla. I'm getting old, sister. I... But I do appreciate the fact that like our young people who are following Christ, they do get this. They know that if they are going to follow Christ in this world... My generation and many of your generation, we could go out there and say we were Christians and really weren't, we weren't going to be held accountable for that. Oh, he's a good Christian businessman, so it didn't matter if you really went to church. It's just that people knew you as a Christian businessman. You got away with that. Today, they will eat your lunch. The culture doesn't care if you're a Christian. In fact, to be a Christian may cost you business, where 40 years ago, it got you business. It's different. So authenticity today is necessary. But we need to realize that still there's a lot of fakeness, falseness. Many times that superficiality comes across in the words that we speak. The words that we speak can be good sounding words, but they do not ever get backed up with action. Jesus says that he understands this rottenness. He, he saw the rottenness that was in the false prophets, the Pharisees in their earthly ministry. But he's warning us that many people who are in the church and who are not conforming their lives to what Jesus says, even if they can sound like Jesus, their lives don't look like Jesus. When we look to the Gospels, we see more than just the teachings of Jesus. We, we see Jesus' life is in perfect harmony with God. Now, you and I, because of sin in our lives, we are often out of step, out of tune with the harmony of God. 
But we should always be striving to be more harmonious with what God's word says. We need to be striving to have Christ in us and that that will uh, be communicated through us from the very early days. One of the oldest documents we have from early Christians that were writing, a little book called the Didache, they said this, the Father's will is not simply admired, discussed, praised, debated, it is done. It is done. When we say that we believe in Christ, we do more than parrot what he said, we practice what he preached. Too many of us are parroting, we know some verses to parrot, but are we practicing what he preached? How is what you say about Jesus showing up in what you do for Jesus? Let me take you to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. I told you we were going to look at Matthew 7. Notice this, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Brothers and sisters, what's that called? The golden rule. The golden rule. The most basic thing. In fact, even if you send your kids to, to public school, you'll probably hear them or they'll hear that saying. That is sort of a universal saying. Everybody knows it's true that we need to do good unto others. The same kind of good that we would hope would be done to us. Sounds really easy. Problem is, it doesn't get done enough in this world. When we say, what does it look like to do the Father's will? I'm here to tell you, and this sounds so simplistic, but just take it from me this morning. Can you just be nice for a change? Sometimes it is best to turn the other cheek. In fact, I would say almost every time especially when it's just about you and your reputation. We're real quick to defend ourselves, but I want to share with you that we need to remember that souls matter, that your life is about being a witness for Christ. The calculus needs to be not what is fair to me, but what is best for the kingdom of God. When we think like that, we think like Jesus. If Jesus was wrapped up in justice, he would have never went to the cross for your sins or mine. That was injustice, by the way, but he did it for you. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. How many of you can tell a story about a time when somebody did something for you, an act of kindness out of the blue, and it just blessed your heart? Like, it, it made a dark day bright. When's the last time you did that for somebody else? You know how good it made you feel. But how quickly we forget that we should do unto others as they have done unto us in that sense, in a good way. We need to realize that kind of love, when we pass it along, changes the world. But if we are caught up in our own little kingdoms, we don't do things like that. We still say the right things, but we're not living as Jesus lived. We're not doing the things that Jesus did. We're doing the things that people do. So let me say this, if you don't sound like Jesus, behave like Jesus, should it surprise you that you are not saved in Jesus' name? That's what we have to come to grips with. How much of God's love goes through you and to others? Now let's talk about for a moment, verse 22, the things people do. The things people do. Verse 22 takes us to the, the day of judgment. Notice it says there, on that day. 
on that day is a way of expressing what the Hebrews called the Yom Yahweh, the day of the Lord. In the prophets and in the New Testament, this day is often mentioned. This is the big day when everything wrong is made right. Where all of the injustices of the world, the loose ends that we are experiencing. Listen, I'm not debating that you've experienced injustice. There are many loose ends that will never get tied up in this world. In this world, they will not get tied up. But on the day of the Lord, it's all going to be made right. You looking for justice? Ain't going to happen in this world, but it is coming. And justice is coming in the form of Jesus who's never made a mistake, who never misses a beat, who knows everything about everything. This morning I was thinking about how my job is to know things about things and, and situations and people. So many times I know way more than I ever wanted to know. I'll never forget the first time I had this happen. I was at Murray State University at the time. I was, I was training. I was in pre-med program. Thought that's what I was going to do. And, but God called me to, to preach. And so I was telling people in my classes, yeah, I'm called to, to preach. Well, you know, you say that and people start asking questions and start treating you like you're a, a preacher. But not everybody comes from a Protestant faith. So some of those people weren't thinking they were talking to a preacher. They thought they were talking to a priest. And you know what priests have to do? They have to hear confession. And so one day in one of those classes, I started getting a confession, and I just didn't need to hear it. I really didn't know what to do with that. Uh, that wasn't something I was used to. Hear me out. When it comes right down to it, God knows. He knows everything. He knows perfectly. Sometimes I make mistakes. Sometimes I don't understand the heart. I can hear people's words and be deceived. But I promise you, Jesus will not be deceived. He knows if your words are real. He knows if you're trying to pull the wool over other people's eyes. But you will not pull the wool over his. People like to do that. They will often try to pull the wool over our eyes. I think it's interesting that in our culture today, I've noticed that with American Christians, but Americans in general, we often identify ourselves more in terms of what we do than really who we are. When you meet people for the first time, many times what those individuals will ask you is, so what do you do? You know, Avery, where she's at at school, she had that game her first year, people were asking back and forth. Um, what their parents did, and of course, where she goes to school, you know, these magnates and, you know, politicians and all this stuff like this, and so, and so they said, Avery, what, what do your parents do? And she said, well, my dad's a pastor, and my mom's a teacher, and they went, oh, <laughs> that's the kind of place she's at, anyway, because that's, that's how we identify ourselves. Oh, well, th those, you know, those people can't be powerful, they, they can't have prestige, those aren't, those aren't professions that we respect. You see how they were thinking. That's okay, I'm, I'm used to it. But the reality is, we do that to people. And many of you in this room, your identity is more tied into what you do Monday through Friday than who you are in Christ. You see, the things people do are important but who you are matters most. If your identity is more in what you do, do you realize you can very easily take one step, follow me, follow me now, we can take one step out of true, and we can begin to apply that principle to our Christian life. And here's what happens. If we are identifying ourselves by what we do, and we come to a place like this, and we believe that Christianity is overall a good thing, what we end up doing is replacing faith with works. 
we begin to identify success as a Christian, not with growing closer in a relationship with Christ, but that we do more good things for Christ. Works don't work if your heart isn't right with God. If you are not growing in your relationship with God, all the good works in the world are not helping you in any way spiritually. Let me tell you, Nicodemus was impressed with Jesus' power according to John 3, 2, but he was not born again because Jesus said what? And I'm using old King James Version for some reason today. Ye must be born again. Why does he say that to Nicodemus? Unless Nicodemus, with all of his religious background and all of his good works, still doesn't know Jesus as his Savior. How many of us would Jesus say that to in this room? Many of the people who heard Jesus were impressed with his power. We are told in John 2, 23 and 24, and yet Jesus did not commit himself to them, we are told, because their belief was not genuine. People can do good deeds, that's great, and they can do them with or without Christ in their hearts. But those who are truly in Christ are growing in grace. Look at chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, another super familiar passage. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. That's pretty scary too. Now let me just say this. How can it be that a faith that is as easy, look, little kids, five, six, seven years old, come to know Christ around here all the time, so it's not complicated, but how is it that those who believe are few? Well, let me just wrap it all up with this. I told you a moment ago that you can do good works. It is easy. If God has blessed you with resources, it is easy to do good works and have the whole world do this. Man, you are awesome. Look at all the good things you're doing. That's the broad way. The narrow way is loving people who are broken, dirty, and hurt who will bite you in the back the second you turn your back on them and you continue to love them. That's the narrow way. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. That's not easy because it requires grace. You see, I think that when we get the broad path and the narrow path, when we, when we, when we think that it is our works, when we baptize, we baptize our works and say that we're doing all these good things and that has to be good enough. No, friends, all we've done is we've taken our identity as a hard worker, as a successful person, and we've baptized it a little bit. Those are the people who will hear the words, I never knew you. I am convinced that this is where the church is missing it. We think that if we just show up, if we just give or do ministry, that that proves that we are in Christ. That is not true. What matters is that our relationship with Jesus is growing deeper every day. It is a narrow path to walk with Jesus because it is hard to be gracious to sinful people. Let me give you five categories of professors. And I'm not talking about at school. Arthur W. Pink, one of the great old-timey uh, scholars and Bible commentators, he gives us these five categories. Let me just give them to you real quick because you're all going to fall 
in one of these five categories. Nominal. All that means is, is in name only. You have cultural Christianity. You would say you are a Christian. I heard a guy tell me one time, well, you know, I'm a Christian because I grew up in America. Okay, that's nominal Christianity. Uh, no real faith, just I know that the majority of the people around me are Christian, therefore I'm going to be a Christian. Formal. It's a little more tricky. These are members of the church, but not regular participants. These are those who are on the church rolls, but rarely, if ever, have any desire to go to church or participate in the ministries of the church. They are formally part of a church, but they are practically absent all the time. The third is deceived. These are people who do good things but don't have a growing relationship with Christ. That's the kind of person I was talking about a moment ago whose identity is in what they do instead of who they are as a child of God. That's one of the most dangerous groups. I think many of us today fall in that category, sadly. Fourthly, there's the hypocritical. And those are the ones who uh, say what they say has little to do with what they do. So in other words, these are the individuals who have no problem saying that they go to church and they support ministries, but then they also live like the devil and they don't seem to care that those two things are, are not mutually exclusive. They actually go against one another. And then finally, we have the genuine. Those are true Christians enjoying the blessings of grace who are seeking the will of the Father in everything. Now, let me say this. All of you fit in one of those five categories. Obviously, only 20% have it right. The other 80% are in big trouble. So let's talk about never and forever. I've already told you, you're not the judge. You can't judge me, and I can't judge you. Not faithfully. Now, we can help one another and disciple one another, and I think that's what pastors and leaders are called to do. But down deep inside, you know that at at the base level here, it is Jesus who is judging you. Notice in verse 23 that it's him. And then I will declare to them. Look at verse 23. He says, I will declare. Jesus doesn't pass this off to an angel. He doesn't have Moses do it. He doesn't have anybody else do it. He does it personally. What we're talking about here is personal. Your relationship with Jesus is personal. He takes it personally. And when you have been doing many good things, but you have not been growing in your relationship with him, he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice that word never. I say again, it's not having Jesus and losing him uh, that is at stake here. It's a picture of someone who has been deceived from the beginning. If you are in Christ, that is an eternal thing. So here's the deal. The good news is, is that when you are in Christ, that is an eternal thing. But the reality on the ground is there's a lot of people who have said that but aren't necessarily followers of Christ. I realize that this is beyond logic. Uh, we're knocking on the doors of mystery here. I get it. How do we know that, that, that so many people are, are misled in this way? Listen, I don't know. But I I'm really scared that many of you have quit even trying to figure out where you stand. Like how many people, how many people are, are, are just never asking about their relationship with Christ? I mean, you can go for weeks and not worship and it doesn't really make a difference. You don't, you, oh, oh gosh, wow, I haven't been to church in three or four weeks. You just kind of, it kind of comes to you and then you show up and you feel a little better. Oh yeah, 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 this is, I'm supposed to do this. Yeah, I remember now. It's raining today, so yeah, it's kind of more convenient. Good to, good to see you. You see what I'm saying? Now, I don't want to make light of this. This is not a funny thing. 
The reality is that if you're never thinking about Jesus or thinking about how you're growing cold in your relationship to Jesus, then something is wrong. Well, what do you do about that? Well, look at verse 7 of our chapter. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Listen to me. This is not complicated. If you are broken this morning and you know that your relationship with Jesus is cold, it's either dead or it is on life support. Listen to me. It's not complicated. You just have to ask. Seek. Knock. God is asking you this morning, are you serious? Will you make a step in the right direction? Because your heavenly father knows what you need. If you need bread, he's not going to give you a stone. Verse 9. If you need a fish, he's not going to give you a serpent. He knows because he's good. He knows what you need. Will you ask him for what you need? If you don't care to wrestle with your salvation, are you even in the wrestling match? If you don't care enough to care about the state of your soul, how can your soul be safe in Christ? When's the last time you wrestled with your relationship with Jesus? I know Jacob did, and he got his, you know, he had to have a hip replacement or whatever. Now, some of you haven't wrestled in a long time. You're taking it for granted. And I don't want you to have your hip thrown out, but I would rather see your hip thrown out than you go to hell. Are you hearing me? Boy, that landed heavy, didn't it? We don't say that much in church anymore, do we? We talk about heaven, but we don't talk a lot about hell. And then we come up on a passage like this and we say, well, my goodness, I don't want to hear a passage like this. Jesus telling me that I never knew you. That's harsh. That's mean. That's negative. That's not what I want to hear when I show up on church. It's not necessarily what I want to hear either, but it's what must be heard. We believe in God. Amen? And if you do, then you have to also believe that there is the devil. And I'm telling you, the devil is, he's crafty. He has things going on in the world that will distract you. He has things in your flesh, your addictions, your desires that can mess you up. Amen? And mess you up. And then watch out because the Satan is like a lion who is roaring. And he's devouring many of us and our families. There is real war going on. Too many Christians just aren't in the fight. And the only way we'll be in the fight is if we get closer to Jesus. Man, when we are in trouble, it's good to have strong brothers on our left and on our right. It's good to know that we're not alone. And I want you to know, when you draw closer to Jesus, who says he will stick closer to us than a brother, then we can fight the good fight. Amen? And too many of us haven't been fighting anything. I told you earlier that I had... In my undergraduate world life, I had uh, toyed with being a, a medical doctor. Imagine that had happened. I became a doctor, spent many years training to heal people, received all the requisite skills and certifications to care for people, to operate on them, to perform life-changing procedures on them. Got all that done, graduated with honors, and never helped a soul. People will come to me and say, Dr. Muniz, you're a doctor. Can you help me? I say, come with me. I take them into my office and I pull out an old ragged copy of my degrees and certifications. I show them that I am a doctor. In fact, I am 
I went to medical school. I tell them great stories about my time and study and all the accolades I received from my professors. But then when you say, will you help me? I say, no, I don't do that anymore. I can call myself a doctor, but does that really mean anything anymore? Certainly not to you if you're the one in my office. How many of you can pull out an old baptism certificate, yellowed with age, frayed on the corners? How many of you can give a testimony about something that happened many years ago that you have not thought about Jesus, shared Jesus, or really worshiped Jesus in a long time? You see, there's a lot of people saying, Lord, Lord. There's a lot of people who are saying, I, I follow Christ. But there really isn't any evidence, not enough to convict you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a man who could not live cheap grace, he, in fact, lived his faith and died a Christian, died at the very end of World War II as Hitler and his minions started killing people that had been lights of gospel grace. D.A. Carson's speaks of this, and he says, cheap grace preaches forgiveness without repentance, church membership without the rigors of church discipline, discipleship without obedience, blessing without persecution, joy without righteousness, results without obedience. I think that many of us have dug into cheap grace. But real grace, please forgive the analogy, real grace, you have dirt under your fingernails. Because you are out there helping people. You're that doctor who doesn't just point at degrees on the wall, but you make a difference with your skills. Listen, if you have been touched by grace, then you have a message of grace that you ought to be sharing. Sharing the gospel with 8,400 people, you don't need to share my story, you need to share your story. You need to talk to people who are hurting out there. They need you. You don't think of yourself as special, but I'm going to tell you, every one of you are a doctor of grace because you've been touched by the great physician. The great physician healed you and touched you. You have that witness and you have that testimony. Where's it at? Don't continue leaning into a profession you no longer profess, a faith you don't have faith in, a conviction that can't even get us to church on Sunday or in the trenches of ministry on Monday. Don't tell yourself that it's okay when what you do and who you are is rarely, rarely Christ-like. When you walk by, is the aroma of Christ anywhere near you? Everyone who hears these words of mine, not mine, Jesus's, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. If your house isn't built on the rock, you will fall. And the only way to mitigate that, to change that scenario, that situation, is to come to Jesus right now and ask him to be your Savior. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.